Welcome to another spooktacular October episode of the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. My name is Kyle Bird. I am your host. Um, with me today, I have enlisted the help of some friends, um, uh, all familiar voices at this point. I'll go around the room and introduce everybody. Um, I have to the right of me, I mean, not really, but I have to the right of me, um, Tom from the Final Forum Dragon Ball podcast, who is uh, in his uh, residency for October to talk about horror with us. Yeah, this Airbnb sucks. <laughs> Look, I'm sorry the KT studio doesn't have all the, all the bells and whistles that you're used to down in <laughs> Texas, okay? We're, I'm, we're in a little apartment off of Eight Mile Road <laughs> outside Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> we <laughs> we don't have much, but it's enough. To the left of me, I have uh, Kevin from Mazer Patrol, who is uh, no stranger around these parts. Hello, hello. And um, I need to think of another like direct right in front of me. I have. You should have said above. Yeah, <laughs> behind me. <laughs> Um, uh, I have creepily standing behind you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> returning to the podcast is Lux Edwards. Welcome back. Look, is it too much to ask that if you're the last one to use the toilet paper roll and, you, and it's all gone, that you just replace the toilet paper? <laughs> now, now, do you? Uh, what what way do you put the toilet paper up? Because th- this is this everyone is knows that the toilet paper goes over, not under. See, I yes, always overhand. I just by habit, I put it in the other way, and then Kim always yells at me like, "Why did you put the toilet paper in like an idiot?" And I'm like, Whoa. "You put it under? What the fuck is wrong with you?" <laughs> I, I don't know. Is that is that like because of working at a gym? Is that how they like force you to install it? I've always to let everyone, I've just, to let everyone know that hey, you're not welcome here. <laughs> that's just like <laughs> that's just been like my instinct. I don't know. I'm I'm I I messed up. I don't know. Don't come in here. We have the cursed toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. The uh, what's the what's the 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 toilet ghost in Japan? Hanako. Uh, Hanako. Yeah. Yeah. That like. Uh, I forget all the. We talked about this when we did the our uh, haunted school episodes last year. Like, um, 
But yeah, it'll put up like different colored toilet paper based on like how you're gonna die or something, right? Something like that. Yeah, it's something like the the red toilet paper means you bleed out, and the blue one means you're suffocating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Uh, so um, it's October. So uh, to get in the uh, festive October spirit, we spend the month talking about uh, horror things. Um, and today we have uh, what I guess is a fairly popular property, which is Parasite. Um, now not I the, not the movie that one. Um, yeah, not not the Korean uh, movie. Although that's a good movie, um, and not uh, I don't know. I feel like that's like not that uncommon of a title which i don't know maybe that's why they spell it p-a-r-a-s-y-t-e um i w- i think this uh i was actually surprised how old this franchise is um just because i remember you know when these live action movies that we're going to talk about were being made and i remember when the anime um was out here i guess it was like adult swim or whatever and i remember it being kind of like you know it wasn't like a phenomenon the way like attack on titan or something was but i do know that it was like pretty popular um but yeah the 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 original manga uh is written by a guy named hitoshi iwaki um and it lasted from 1988 to 1995 um so i'm gonna lean on my uh, uh, manga nerd friends uh, here, um, that is also surprisingly long for what is like I don't know. From what I understand, to be a fairly self-contained story. I mean, that's almost ten years. Um, so was this kind of like an on and off thing, or was he like, or was there actually that much stuff in the manga? Well, uh, it, the the manga went for ten volumes, or um, or eight of the chonkier vol- volumes, if you're going to go that way with it. Uh, but the thing to remember about this is it was serialized in a monthly magazine as opposed to a weekly magazine. So if you think about something like Dragon Ball, where it's a new chapter every week, you're going to have much more content than like a, a weekly uh, than a monthly magazine, where um, it takes a little bit longer to to get all of that uh, storyline out there. Mm. So, you know, 10 volumes could go, you know, in a, in a, in a couple of years for uh, a weekly serialization, but for monthly, that's, that's why it took so long. Um, that said, it was, it was relatively quick. Uh, you know, it wrapped up in 1995 and it started its uh, U.S. Uh, release in 1997. Uh, it was serialized in Mixine, which uh, went on to become uh, Tokyo Pop, basically. Uh, and from there, it, it actually got optioned for movie rights pretty quickly mm-hmm. because in 1999 the Jim Henson company said that they were going to be making a live action version of it um and that was in development hell for for several years yeah then, it was with new line for a bit um in yeah, like 2005, in 2005 whatever it, yeah yeah the, um, the so the the uh director of the grudge was attached uh for for a hot minute uh for the US version oh, okay uh, but uh, but as as soon as those rights expired, uh, it it finally kind of got snatched up for adaptations in um, in in Japan again. Uh, so you had uh, Toho and and Robot doing this duology of uh, live action 
films and then uh concurrent with that you got the uh the anime series which is more well known here yeah um, yeah the, there was i guess uh i was reading there was like a big bidding war between like all the be- big japanese studios and you know toho was the one that uh that that ended up getting it at the end um but um uh yeah when did was the manga out here before that like you know was was the manga out here like closer to when the anime and these movies were made or was or did did we get it earlier cuz this is old yeah we we started getting the manga in 97 like i was saying so it's it's been printed a couple of times in the states uh so that that original mix scene was actually flipped so uh instead of migi he was called lefty uh okay and uh, and then it was printed by Del Rey, and then I think Kodansha has it now. Um, yeah, so Kodansha it's been reprinted it a couple of years before the anime came out, so it was out there. Okay, um, yeah, I just remember the anime taking off. Um, like, yeah, it, well, was it was it broadcast here at the same time? Uh, it, it broadcast here a little bit after it had uh, aired in Japan, uh, because that's kind of the way that it that it works. Um, so the the anime was, I think it was licensed by Crunchyroll at first, and then uh, Sentai Filmworks picked it up, and and they uh, they put out the Blu-ray release, and then with that dub, that's what wound up on on Adult Swim. Okay. Um. Yeah, I was. I was also surprised that um, the first live action movie, uh, not by much, it's by like I don't know, less than a year. But the first live action movie predates the anime. This is uh, this is a pretty common thing, and is it? Uh, okay? Uh, because they'll try to you know be kind of uh, synchronous. Uh, so if you look at releases like, um. Death Note. Uh, that's one where the the movie, the first movie came out, then the anime came out, then the second movie came out. Um, I think it was it was pretty close with a with a Assassination Classroom, uh, with um, Erased. That was one where the 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 manga ended and the anime came out and the movie came out and the novelization all came out like within a week of each other. <laughs> so um, they they do like to kind of have that synchronicity on that front. But we don't get the live action movies until much later in the states. Yeah, you know, due to you know licensing stuff, and then also just movies take longer than we get simulcasts for um, TV shows now. But then the movies take a, a little bit longer to to get over here. So a lot of people think like, oh, the anime came out and was popular, and then they decided to make a movie, and like that's not the way it works. Yeah, I guess there's supposed to be a Korean version for Netflix at some point. Um, yeah, that's that's uh, in, incoming at some point. So we'll yeah. we'll see how it is. So far, every piece of media has been good, uh, which is unusual. But uh, we'll... <laughs> I was I was going to ask if you had any familiarity with the new manga, but it seems like maybe you do. The yeah, Reversi. I've, uh, I've read Neo Parasite. I haven't read the uh, the Adversi stuff. Same here. I've read the uh, the Neo Parasite anthologies, but I haven't read the uh, the Reverse yet. 
Yeah, so some of the some of the names that kaiju fans would know from from Neo Parasite, like um, Takayuki Takeya has a has a short story in there, and Yasushi Nirasawa has a short story in there. So, um, and yeah, just looking at the the um, the other stuff the creator of Parasite has done, um, yeah, I don't I don't know that he has anything that's quite the sensation that <laughs> that Parasite is. Now his his biggest other hit is probably Historia, but that hasn't ever been adapted. Um, I think his the the thing that's closest to Parasite is uh, uh, Tanabata no Kuni, uh, which I would love to see somebody pick up and, and license here. You know, rather than reprint Parasite for the sixth time, but um, you know, stuff is going to sell what's popular. Yeah. Um. All right. So uh these uh well I guess I guess before we talk about the movies I I think you know just to give cuz I am the least fluent in Parasite out of all of you. I know uh Kevin and Lux sounds like you guys have read a lot of the manga stuff. I know Tom's watched the anime. I've only seen these movies. So um yeah, I mean I guess just round the room um I mean how do you guys you said everything's been good, and you all seem to sort of agree on that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, any any like how's that? Like how's the anime? Like, I mean, we we'll talk about how they compare to the movies as we as we go forward. But I'm just curious to see what you know everyone thinks of the other stuff aside from you know it's good. I mean, the anime is fantastic. I mean, I don't think we've had an adaptation of this yet that's really hasn't been good i was i was really concerned about the anime when it was first uh announced um but uh you know madhouse does good work and the kind of traps that i was expecting them to fall into like i was expecting a lot of you know conspicuous cgi and stuff like that and they they managed to make everything very cohesive so uh credit to them for that yeah i don't remember the anime very well it's been Probably like three years since I've seen the anime, which in uh, in these times is might as well be three decades. <laughs> but I do remember it being really good. Um, <clears throat> kind of like, kind of like what you would want, frankly, from an anime of of this. Is it's like it's. There's some differences. I don't really specifically remember them, but it is, it's just kind of like everything in here dialed up to 11 in terms of like the designs mm-hmm. and the gore and all that kind of stuff because they're in anime versus, you know, needing to figure out how to do it in camera or even with CG or something. So, and since it's anime, you have a longer format with so many more episodes, they were able to actually. Uh, bring more of the manga to life. So there's a lot of side stuff that's not super important to the main story that was cut out of the movies that we actually get to see in the anime. I would imagine they probably uh, focus more on like the um, like the political intrigue, kind of like you know, I don't know, like the power hierarchies and city hall and stuff like that. There's a bunch of characters actually, and, and different little side stories that are cut out that. Um, that we just don't get in the yeah. movies. And like I said, it's it's because they don't have to they don't have anything to do with what you're talking about. Like mm-hmm. the movie really the movies really focus on like what's the core story of the manga as opposed to all these little like side stories that Shinichi gets himself into. 
So like a like a, a great example is um, in the in the source material, uh, the the main character has a father who kind of goes through a lot of tragedy as as his son and and other family go through different tragedy as the story goes through, and you kind of get his reactions to it. And in the movie, they don't have time for that, so they're just like your 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 father died off screen before the movie started, and they, they right. <laughs> Yeah, I was I, I was wondering about that too. Um, uh, okay. Well, His no. I, while Shinichi's like on the run later on, like in like the second movie when he's like on the run and, and trying to hide, where he's kind of going from place to place, and as he's traveling, there's little separate stories in okay. each of those places. So yeah, in the movie, he just kind of like goes to like one place. <laughs> yeah, it just jumps straight to it. Yeah. Well, no, I mean that's the that that's like how you condense stuff right, you know. Um cool though. I yeah, I you know, I I know the anime is still, I mean, it's popular. It's still it like it's on like a bunch of streaming services and stuff. I should check it out. Um it has a great uh great opening credit song that is actually in English, but you wouldn't know from listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, the live action movies, um, that's what we're here to discuss. Um, and, uh, they were directed by Takashi Yamazaki, um, director of the upcoming Godzilla minus one. Um, and, What's uh, that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is that? A uh, <laughs> bunch of other stuff, um, that people might've heard of, uh, you know, uh, uh, Eternal Zero, which it was like his one of his biggest hits, which was a war movie. He did the live action uh, space battleship uh, Yamato um, Returner. If people remember uh, that being in like every piece of advertising that Sony did when they had picked up the <laughs> Millennium uh, Godzilla films. Um, so uh yeah, prolific director well, and you uh, skipped the you skipped the ten minute thing that everyone listening to this has probably seen. The like the Godzilla ride stuff? No, when he did when he did the, the always like he did the Oh always yeah, the all yeah, he did the always movies. films and of course there's the infamous uh Godzilla dream sequence at the beginning of Always Two um that um you know is still you know Posted every day uh, <laughs> on social media, um, but uh, yeah, prolific director, a uh, good director, um, uh, and uh, interesting thing about him is also that he usually does, um, uh, or or at least oversees all of the visual effects um, in his films. So um, you know, mostly CG stuff, but um, you don't see that often uh i think uh even in japan these days um yeah i i think it's it's uh interesting that you know when when shin godzilla was first announced back in 2014 what uh taiji ueda said was uh we will bring the monster back to japan with the high quality we've given films like parasite yeah Ooh. and I, I i remember that was um before 
Anno and Higuchi were like, oh, hey, they're doing this thing called Shin Godzilla. I remember there being some some mild buzz about him being the director. And yeah, it's been like, I don't know, like the whole time he's been making movies is basically like, he had the cameo in, in that, and then Toho had hired him to do the Godzilla ride. Um, uh, there's... It's been like they've been like dangling the carrot in front of him for decades now, and it's like, oh, finally they let this guy make a Godzilla movie. Um, yeah, has anyone ever done as much as, like, as, as much Godzilla stuff? Yeah, before getting to make a Godzilla movie as this guy? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, they they've just been teasing this poor guy this this whole time. It took twenty years, but you know. Hey, good on him. I, I mean, I, I, I hope, I really do hope that he, he gives us something cool. Um, so, uh, honestly, his, his situation with Parasite was kind of similar to that. Um, yeah. You know, because if you go back and look at uh, his, his first movie, Juvenile, you know, the, the villains in that are these aliens with these like they shape shifting heads that shoot out tendrils and. They uh, they you know have sequences where they learn how to speak Japanese by just standing there watching uh, watching newscasters on television for a long period of time and kind of uh, faking human emotion. Yay. A lot of that is very uh, very parasite like. And then he was he was actually interviewed in in two thousand three and like he was asked like about projects he wanted to do and at that point he said that he wanted to do parasite but the rights were tied up in the U S and he didn't want to go to the U S. Um, uh, for you know reasons that uh, you know kind of breaking down that he went into this later. Parasite is a very Japanese story as he sees it, um, and that the the protagonist is kind of a this this uh, part monster uh, that's similar to stuff that you see in Ultraman and, and Common Rider and, and Devil Man. Uh, and he didn't think that that kind of nuance really works in American fiction. Hmm. Do Japanese people ever heard of the Wolfman? <laughs> uh, I would assume so. They have Wolf Guy over there. That, that's a whole journey. <laughs> um. So, uh. Parasites Part 1 and 2. 1 uh, was in 2014, 2 in 2015. Um, and very close together, like November and March, I think. Yeah, uh, I mean, typical thing that movies, I think, everywhere kind of do sometimes when they're adapting a book or a story or whatever, putting it into two parts. Um, uh, and uh, that's what they did here. Um, so I don't, I, I don't remember how we did the... Death Note movies when we did that, but I don't. It, it's it's I don't know. It, it's gonna be, um, uh, I don't know. The the, the movies just kind of like blend together all the time when it's like one story for me. Um, so I might get a little mixed up as to what's in what. Um, but uh, so yeah, the general premise of Parasite is there are these um, alien parasites um they come down and start taking over human hosts um and uh they are really freaky and they can 
kind of morph their bodies into different weapons and um, all kinds of weird, gross stuff. Um, and uh, they uh, are... Do they say exactly why they come to Earth specifically? Well, so no, this that's is, even like a, that's like a plot point. Yeah, this is this like is an we don't thing. Um, we don't really know what we are. Yeah, or why it, we're yeah. Here they or, almost have the same kind of existential questions humans do. Like, why are we here? Why? What are? What's our purpose? You know. Um, but, and the the manga and the anime they're explicitly from space, but in the movies it seems like they come out of the bottom of the ocean. Mm. Yeah, the the first one we see literally like crawls out of the water. That's true. Um but uh but yeah, the so you know, we we spend most of our time with our protagonist Shinichi, um your uh uh regular mild-mannered college or not college about to graduate and be in college, I think, but um high schooler um and he's got, you know, his normal teenage problems uh and then one day one of these parasites goes into his room um it uh his he's listening to uh earbuds so it can't crawl into his brain like how they usually do so it tries to go up his arm and he uh ties his uh headphone cord around his arm to keep it from going any further and it like so it can't assimilate him fully and it just takes over his hand um, and, uh, the, the parasite that takes over his hand, um, is, uh, called Migi, who, um, uh, is basically like, well, uh, I didn't do my job, and now I'm stuck as your hand, and if you die, I die, so I gotta keep you alive, even though I don't care. And then, um... They slowly, their personalities start to merge a little bit, um, and uh, Shinichi becomes more um, cold, and Migi becomes more um, empathetic, I yep. guess. Yeah. Um, but uh, so uh, they uh, can sense whenever any of these um, body snatched parasite people are around, and so. Um, you know they're they're trying to stop these parasite murders because they're the the parasites have uh taken a liking to humans as their primary food source um, all the while you have a couple other things going on you have a a, a detective um you know trying to investigate these murders and then also later once they find out about the parasites trying to figure out who's killing all the parasites um and then um uh, Shinichi's teacher gets uh, uh, possessed by a parasite, and um, you know she uh, ends up kind of rallying together other parasites. And she wants to. Uh, she ends up deciding she wants to keep Shinichi and Migi alive because she is more like, "Hey, you know, I think we can make this work. I think we can get along with humans and coexist and learn from each other." And like, so she ends up becoming. A little, like more chill throughout the story. Uh, the problem with that is there are power struggles uh, because um, you also have parasites that are you know taking over city hall and you know they're they're interested in um, how they can become dominant over humans and uh, 
eat them more or less. Um, and that's more or less the setup to Parasite. Uh, we can uh, t- discuss more as we as we go, but um, uh, yeah, there's a little uh, bit there's a little bit more there that I think bears mentioning. Like, you know, Shinichi at first, um, because uh, because Migi can sense some of these parasites, he actually kind of wants to seek them out a little bit because he's like, oh, I sense like others of my kind. And when he first does, they're all like repulsed that he's only taken over his hand. And so they try and kill him. And then that's where he out of self-defense actually kills. I think the first like two of them that he ends up killing is because they try to kill him just for existing only in his hand and like kind of like having a human witness essentially the whole time. Um, And then on top of that, the whole reason that he then is, Shinichi then is not like constantly and continuously hounded is because his teacher thinks like the parasite that has taken over his teacher is a really powerful. We're never really given a very good explanation of like how or why certain parasites are like very strong and certain ones are not like, even if there was just something at one point that had it been an explanation, you know, like if he was like, well, why is she so strong and this one not or something? And someone would be like, well, certain humans are strong and other ones are not. And you'd be like, oh, okay. But like, we're never really given anything, but still she's like strong enough to kind of keep a lot of the others in check. And she like is a very curious and inquisitive one. She thinks it's interesting that he has only taken over the hand and thinks it's like an experiment. And right from the jump too, she's like, I'm like very interested in experimenting on everything with this, with being human. That's why I had sex with this guy and we made a baby together and I'm pregnant because I want to see what will happen if I give birth. Like she's just, she's got a very inquisitive mind. Um, so her, her ultimate, kind of desire for compromise and coexistence come about later and as a result of her more inquisitive nature. Which I kind of think is important. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, uh, yeah, Shinichi's mom gets taken by a parasite and so that's when he's like, you know, I'm going to find them all and kill them basically taken by taken by a parasite who specifically tries to kill him yeah it was earlier a, yeah it's like the biggest asshole parasite too yeah uh, who <clears throat> he gets he gets introduced to this guy through the teacher the teacher introduces shinichi to these two others at a zoo in has... front of the walruses <laughs> that's important <laughs> these, these two others that she has initially kind of established an alliance with and one is like a fellow student of shinichi's and the other is this guy who's a cop who refuses to reveal his name and so right from the jump you're like oh this guy's like a like a jerk (laughs) and yes he turns out to be a huge jerk he like tracks shinichi down and tries to kill him and shinichi ends up cutting off his head and thinking that he is one and just walking away and in his 
dying moments, the parasite decides to climb out and kind of take a gamble and be like, I'm going to die unless I find someone instantly. And who he finds instantly is Shinichi's mom. And then the big thing that kind of spools out of that, that's really a big catalyst for what causes Shinichi's change is his mom actually kills him. She stabs him through the heart. And as Migi is dying because they are connected, Migi decides to like kind of, I don't know, revert himself more inside of Shinichi's body and place some of his cells into Shinichi's heart, which then means that Shinichi has like this parasite kind of blood now flowing through his body more regularly. And also, um, it has the effect. This is where you get like kind of the, the limitation that gets put on the hero in order to like amplify drama at times. Now, Migi, every, what does he say? Like every 48 hours, he has to sleep for four hours or something. Yeah. Like he like, but he passes, but he can't control exactly when it is. And he can't be woken up when he's in this hibernation state. And so his hand, instead of being like this parasite that can make blades and stuff, might at any moment just revert into being his hand and he gets no help from Migi. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the, so that's more or less how uh, the recap of like part one, basically part two gets into, um, you know, the, the more of the, uh, the, the big bad, uh, Goto played by the great Tadanobu Asano, um, who has like, he's like five, he's got like five other parasites in him and he's, he's kind of the big boss. Um, kind of like, uh, the teacher, we don't really know why, but he's like, um, he's kind of like in charge of like this faction of parasites that wants to like do this takeover. Um, and you know, they've put in place this, uh, this new mayor who is, you know, all for, parasites and um and so uh, a lot of the second movie is kind of the cat and mouse with goto and and shinichi and they have their big showdown and and all that um anyway so that's enough plot stuff for now um uh i guess i guess i'm more interested to hear from everyone else because uh with you know some of you have been having read the manga and all of you watching the anime. Um, just, uh, I guess, what are your initial thoughts um, on this, these two movies as an adaptation? And, you know, um, I mean, how, how do you, how do you like them? Um, uh, I guess I'll call on uh, someone to go first. I'll choose uh, Kevin. All right. So uh, let, let's put it this way. Um, Hitoshi Iwaki, one of one of the things that he also worked on was a short story for a Devilman uh, manga compilation. And you can tell just from the nature of this material that there's a lot of Devilman DNA in Parasite. You know, if you if you think about the the themes of the uh, the, the creatures that are merging with and infiltrating humanity and then humanity kind of 
overreacting and and turning against and being quite brutal in response. Uh, and then you have your your hero that's kind of living in both worlds, and he's he's anchored by this you know human love interest. So like, there's a lot of overlap between these these stories. And then you think about how bad most of the adaptations have been of Devilman, <laughs> and you think about how poorly this could have turned out. Uh, but it honestly feels like it, it really nails it in terms of hitting the right notes and getting the, the thematics right. And there are definitely, you know, sacrifices that are made for the format. You know, the, the anime isn't exactly a one-to-one with the, the manga and uh, the live action movies aren't um, with, with either of the others, but uh, this, the stuff that they chose to focus on, I think are the most important beats, you know, really, uh, one of the things I know Yamazaki was trying to do was was really focus on you know themes of like parenthood, uh, and you see that come up a lot. You know whether it's uh, Shinichi and his mother, or uh, Tamiya and her child, or the reporter and uh, and his kid. Um, so this is something that comes up a lot, and you kind of you get those those um, thematics about you know kind of what it means to be human, and uh, that carries over in a way that gives a sense of this is somebody who really kind of gets what all the source material was playing with uh, when it could have been something much more kind of uh, lackadaisical, like, say, the 2004 Devilman movie. Okay. Um <clears throat> Uh, Tom, what do you think? I mean, I guess your point of reference is the anime, um, but yeah, I mean, how do you, how do you, how, what do you think of My point of reference is the movies, that's what I saw first, uh, okay. honestly. All right, well, I, uh, okay, interesting. I checked, I checked the anime out after seeing the movies and hearing that the anime was also good. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I forget how I came across this. This is like one of those things I... This is one of those things that I think like popped up on like letterboxed as someone that I know that I actually know had watched it and given it like a four or a five star rating. And I kind of had not a whole lot to do. And the poster with the eyeball coming out of the hand was was like intriguing enough that I then like Googled what this is and I saw all the crazy stuff and was like, Oh, I got to watch this. (laughs) And that was like all that went into me deciding to watch it. But, uh, I was the first one. Like I'm, I'm again, this time, like super taken with it. I, I completely agree that like, I don't, I don't, I don't know the manga. I don't have that as my reference point, but when you see something that is as, uh gloopy i guess but like you know like if you just search parasite the way that it's spelled you know with the y you'll see tons of images that are just crazy and bloody and violent looking and when adapting something like this you could very easily devolve and i would probably still like it Honestly, because I have I have deep seated emotional issues, I think I guess, but you could easily devolve into this just being like a splatterfest 
Yeah. And instead, this has a deeper core to its story. And while some of it at times may get a little maudlin and uh, other pieces may be a smidge uh, ill-timed or out of place, potentially, there is that that deeper uh, thematic element to it that it doesn't ever really lose sight of. And uh, that makes it a rewarding watch and something that is fun to revisit. And um, I think somewhat, somewhat similar to um, there was something I watched recently. I'd have to look it up, but where I like, Oh, the descent I watched recently and kind of knew that it fumbles the ending in my opinion. And that helped me actually enjoy it more knowing that, uh, in my opinion, there's a, a part where this, I think, loses a strong kind of thematic through line to it. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Help me to, to just like it even more this time around. And I wouldn't say like a ton more, but I just I, I liked the second half more than I did last time. Mm. And overall it is it's it's really good and it's a rewarding watch and a rewarding rewatch yeah this is uh the second time uh i watched both of these uh, the first uh, the first time was a few years ago now i feel like i watched these around the time that the covid lockdown started um and um i don't know i just remembered a lot of people saying they were good. Body horror is my jam. And, um, uh, you know, I was familiar with Yamazaki, and I was like, you know what? I'll check it out. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I liked it a lot this time also. I I really like these movies, um, which is why I'm asking you 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 guys, like, okay, you know, about the anime, the manga, because it's, it's cool stuff, but... Um, yeah, the the stuff that sticks out to me is um like uh it's very tempting to uh have a story like this just get into the high school melodrama stuff which is there. Um but uh the horror aspect it really delivered on. Um I'm a body horror guy. Um I I love that stuff and uh so there's a lot of cool stuff going on there just visually but then like when i say horror i also mean like it's it it's not always uh you know it it's not it doesn't treat its characters with much mercy you know i mean characters die in horrific ways and it's not doesn't shy away from it i mean there's a lot of stuff that is like really like you gnarly and you look at it and it's like, wow, that's also like really sad. Um, even little things like there's the part where, uh, uh, I think it's Satomi. Is that the girlfriend? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's the part where like, sh- there's that ma- massacre in her classroom and like her friend that like grabs onto her and like, she looks down and like sees like her half of her, like fall on the ground. And it's like, that's like, like that's just cool horror stuff that uh I really like. I I mean I don't know. I I like when horror can also not just be about 
the kills, the gore, the blood. And when, like, you know, you are invested enough in a story that something like that also, like... Well, and even that example specifically, the second movie, because that that happens in the first movie, Mm -hmm. but then the second movie revisits that with her going back to the school. Yeah. And this is, it's, it's a, it's a relatively short time after, after it has happened. And she's like, it's like nothing ever even happened here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the horror also needs, for me, the best horror not only delivers on the, the blood and gut stuff, but also is not afraid to like punch you in the gut and put you through the ringer a little bit. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, that, that's what, that's what Parasite does. And, uh, and then, yeah, I mean, the, the thematic stuff that has, has been brought up, uh, is, is neat stuff to think about too. I mean, um, the other big thing is, uh, um, you know, Kevin brought up, you know, the, 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 I guess the parent, uh, family aspect, but also there, there's other themes at play too. Like, um, you know, I, I, we mentioned earlier, you know, uh, I guess how the parrot, the parasites really aren't that much, that much different from humans. Uh, you know, they, they don't know why they're here either. Um, when they eat an animal, uh, when they eat a person, it's like, okay, how's that different from you guys eating pigs or whatever, you know? Um, so, you know, in, in, in more philosophical stuff that it doesn't really answer, but I don't really think it's trying to. It's just, you know, hey, here's some, you know, stuff to think about. Um, but yeah, all that stuff really uh, uh, comes together nicely for me. Um, and I mean, we're we're going to bring up the cast at some point, but I mean, like every... Japanese actor like ever it seems like <laughs> is 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 in these things um so as an outsider um yeah i just think it's a really well done uh story and like it like i'm it's in it, it invests you enough to care to that you know when things happen like yeah they hurt a little bit because it it it's not afraid to punch you <laughs> when it needs to so rounding out the initial takeaways, um, I am going to pivot now to Lux, um, who we were talking uh, probably like last week, is they watched these for the first time, and just how it compares to the anime and manga and stuff. So Lux, I'm going to give you the floor uh, for, for you to discuss all that stuff. Yeah, my first experience with Parasite was, I'd say, a little over a decade ago. I was really starting to get into um, comic books in general for like the first time in my life. And um, I started getting into manga more as well, along with that. And I discovered uh, horror manga through Junji Ito. And basically, after I had exhausted as much Junji Ito as I could find back then, I started looking for other horror manga. And... You know, if you hit Google, you know, horror, Japanese, manga, this is one of the top ones that comes up along with Junji Ito. So I jumped straight into Parasite, read all of it, and absolutely loved it. Um, It was really cool when the anime came out not too long after that, because I was like, wow, uh, I get to go for this ride um, as it's like becomes more popular. Um, 
yeah, I really enjoyed the manga. It's it's really cool, especially if you're a fan of um, Junji Ito. It's like uh, Kevin said, it's it's not really in that vein, but it is something that has a lot of like uh, the ultra violence that you might see from Devilman, and it deals in a lot of the same themes. Um, and I feel like that's a through line that has thankfully gone into the anime as well as these live action films. Um, it's kept this great through line of focusing on the philosophy at hand and the, the, the philosophical psychological questions being asked, um, of Shinichi of other various characters being portrayed. Um, as we ultimately are, are talking about, how anthropocentric our ideas of morality are and then taking another species who is very much like us and just trying to survive like us and are thinking like us in a very primitive way have their own ideas about morality and how those ideas of morality are clashing and shinichi becomes the embodiment of that since he is in both worlds so it's 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 this really cool story um i think the movies do a very good job of encapsulating that aspect of it, um, which is really the heart of the story and the reason why so many of those big pivotal dramatic sequences are so emotional is because they're paired with these very uh, dramatic takes on what it means to be human, um, what it means for these parasites to exist in a world dominated by humans what's their what's the meaning of life in general for them for humans for other things on the planet um and it's something that is a through line with all of this is a story about the the relationship of all of this with the planet and its environment and the name parasite it's related to humans in the same way that the parasites are related to humans. The parasites start to talk about humans being the parasites of the planet and they're polluting everything and all of the other species are suffering and they have no regard for anything other than themselves, which is hilarious when you contrast it against the parasites who are, also only really interested in themselves aside from the one doctor who's very curious about living together with the humans and being collective with everything in the environment. Uh, the parasites approach it from the, <laughs> a hypocritical standpoint. And it's, it's kind of interesting when they have this mayor that they put into power who we find out is not actually a parasite is actually human. That's a big reveal later on. Uh, it's just a human who's a, an eco-fascist. Uh, it, it's it's this, these, this interesting dichotomy that we've established, and I, I really like how it plays with that idea all the way up until the the finale of the story and, and his uh, his decision as he's facing off against Gota, the, his final villain, and and the decision he's faced with at the end of that. It all has to do with this environmental idea what it means to be human, if humanity should survive, if the parasites should survive, how they should survive, et cetera, et cetera. Um, again, bringing it back around to just the movies, I think they did a great job of uh, portraying that, as well as um, 
the human story of Shinichi. I really liked how they um, really brought a little bit more of his uh, girlfriend, Satomi, into the back half of the story. Because uh, she kind of gets lost a bit um, in other adaptation. And I, I, I kind of like how the movies... Um, made her his connection to humanity a bit more so all the way to the ending. Whereas the ending in the manga and the anime, she's kind of not really there as much. Uh, it's just him facing off, off against, you know, Goto and the final parasites. Um, so I thought that was a really good idea to, to really ground the story in the movies. Um, which I guess we can segue that into all of the really great actors that are in this, <laughs> because like you said, the cast is, it's a, a lineup of all the best actors in Japan right now, basically. Really? Yeah. It's like every five minutes, someone else shows up and you're like, what? <laughs> um, yeah. The, I mean, there's a lot of faces that, uh, be familiar to Kaiju fans. Um, you have, uh, uh, the guy playing the, the, the eco-fascist mayor is, uh, Kazuki Kitamura, who is the, uh, leader of Planet X and Final Wars. Um, you have uh, what is it? is it? Yojihiku Hitaro. I I always flub his first name. We're gonna flub every name. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> he's in there. Is like, is he like the principal or something? Um, you got uh, uh, the guy that plays uh, um, Terasawa in Godzilla vs King Ghidorah. He's the 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 I, I guess like the SWAT captain of this like parasite extermination task force. Uh, um, I, I mentioned uh, uh, Tadanobu Sano playing Goto. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I you really could just keep going forever. Um, Our boy Jun Kunimura. Yep, yep, yeah. yeah. Say how, you, that's one you can't. <laughs> He's yeah he he's already in everything so it's like not a surprise <laughs> he it's not a surprise when he shows up but when he does you're like yes <laughs> it's it's exactly, it's the uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio pointing meme there <laughs> um uh uh gosh I mean, I mean you could go I forget the actors the guy that plays Ichi the killer um it has a big uh uh like part in the supporting cast of of part two as uh this reporter that um uh uh tamia the the teacher is is using um to track shinichi um uh i mean geez i mean i'm sure i'm forgetting a ton of people there's just there's so many familiar faces in this thing um pierre taki yeah, um, uh, he he's like he's funny in this too, because he's the one parasite that's like, like really like not understanding human behavior. So like he'll just like laugh for no reason all the time, and like there's the part where he like takes out like a whole yakuza like clan, and they're like, yeah. I, did you need to do that? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> like, he's yeah, just having fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, I just felt like doing that. Um, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of 
it's 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 one of those movies where like every five minutes you're like, oh, this guy. Oh no, way, this guy too. <laughs> it's like it's just a who's who of um of of Japanese actors. I I would imagine. Um, I'm talking off the cuff, so I don't know for sure, but I would imagine some of these folks are probably going to show up in Godzilla Minus One, just because I know that um, Yamazaki likes to work with a lot of the same actors. Um, but yeah, this cast is like incredible. Did you mention Taranabu, Taranobu Asano? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yep. Okay. And, and the I reveal just... at the end of... Uh, Part one is awesome, not only as like, oh, this is the actual like big bad guy, but also like, you know, when the camera zooms out and you see it's him, you're like, what? Yeah, because at first it's like it's only showing just like him eating, like yeah. with his hands on the plate, and then it like then there's another shot that shows like just his chin as he's talking, and you're kind of like, wait a sec. It's like Yamazaki then, knew how yeah. awesome it was, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the reveal is so awesome. Like as as somebody who like knew the manga as, and knew that it was Goto, and it's like to see it was Tadanobu Asano playing Goto. That was such, I just got like chills at the end of part one. I was like, I gotta watch part two right now. Yeah, no, that's a that, that's that's how you set up the second part. Is like reveal your the actual villain and have him be like this beloved actor, and then you have like you're just you're leaving on a high and you're like, I it's 2 AM and I need to watch the second one right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not not as much of a, of a, you know, household name, but, uh, Sadao Abe playing uh, Migi. He did the, the mocap and the voice. Uh, he was, um, he was the Kappa in great yokai war. Oh, okay. Hmm. Cool. And I hate that the only place that I recognize, um, the actress who plays Satomi, uh, I Hashimoto. Only place I've seen her before was Sadako 3D. Um, <laughs> yeah, she was Sadako, right? Yeah, I hate that I've seen that movie, but yes, yeah, she was Sadako in that. <laughs> okay, I love that movie actually. <laughs> uh, I I love hate it. It was it was really interested, and in we're getting a lot off track. Even though this is a horror episode, uh, when I did my my watch of all of the Ring movies and the entire like everything related to Ring uh, that is on film. Um, that movie was one where I was just like, it feels like one of the first ones where it's like really tongue in cheek and humorous and it kind of caught me off guard. So it's like, Oh, this, this is, I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's also the, the female lead in the um, movie version of another, which is uh, not particularly good. <laughs> she's a great actress in this though. Yeah, everyone's really good. Um, it seemed like I don't know. It doesn't seem like like no one was. No one felt like they were phoning it in. Like everyone just seemed on board and ready. The actress to go um, there, yeah. The one who plays Ryoko Tamiya, the 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 like main, the teacher one. She, I, I haven't seen her in anything, but she was fantastic in this. Yeah, there there's a part in um, I think it's in part two that's really good where like. Because they say, because uh, you know, we talked about how like she's just curious about what are humans, what do they, what are they like, what is it going to be like to be one, and part of that is like she wants to have a baby, just to be like, what is motherhood, like what is it, like can I do it, how do I do it, 
And there's a really good part where she's, um, like, I don't know, she's just kind of like, uh, uh, hovering over the baby and, you know, doing like, uh, you know, like, I don't know, just mom stuff, you know, tickling the bait, whatever. And then, like, she looks in the mirror and she catches herself smiling. And, like, she conveys, like, the happiness of that moment, but also, like, almost, like, mixed in with, like, a kind of weird, like, terror, almost. And, um, like, that, like, I don't know. I th- Those are the kinds of scenes that I watch as a movie fan, and I'm always thinking, like, how how how's the actor how do that? yeah yeah how is the actor like balancing all this stuff just yeah, it's like a very mona lisa moment like you you can't really place exactly what the feeling is that's being presented to you visually but somehow she's giving you mixed signals of three different feelings at once yeah yeah no it's really um, really, and that's just after you know. Stuff. It's after earlier when the baby starts crying and she just like picks it up by like its scruff and she's like, "Shush!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, like you see her becoming more human, and and sometimes it is like more subtle. Like that's all acting with your face that she's doing, and it's like sometimes it's more subtle stuff like that. And, you know, it's another one of the cool things uh, that I like just thematically of, like, you know, if she's learning to, because we're initially told the parasites, they look like us, they act like us, but they don't feel anything. And, and like, she's kind of, her experiments are, like, working because she's proving that they can start to feel and stuff like that. So, again, it's not, like, a question they're trying to answer it's more just like presenting the viewer with like hey think about it like i don't know do you know like <laughs> so it it all fits into that kind of existential like no one knows what they are why they're here or anything like that view of of just life you know yeah, it's it, that it, philosophical question of what does it mean to really be human and do you have to be human in order to understand morality yeah uh, our view of morality may apply to other species as well mm-hmm. and I, I like how her character is specifically tied to a lot of visuals she likes to have meetings in public and she typically chooses ones like at the zoo or the aquarium um she really likes to talk about the environment and be in the environment um so she's very much more about understanding the planet and living among all the other species on it with it, as opposed to all the other parasites who are very self-centered. Uh, like, and as, as I mentioned before, is very much like humans who are all very self-centered and aren't interested in environmentalism. Yeah. The, I, and I think Migi kind of, uh, shoves a little bit of that message in your face when, um, Shinichi calls him a monster and then he he just like goes and like googles <laughs> you know what is a monster <laughs> and he's like i'm looking at he's like the definition of monster is, from what i've seen looks m- the most like hu- more like humans than any other species you know that i've learned about in you know absorbing all of earth's information in the span of like an hour or whatever um and then you know 
it, it's it's right there. You know, the the yeah, all the things that you know they're saying we you know the parasites are awful for is all stuff that we do. You know, and so so that's that's a good moment of just being like you know I don't know humans are kind of the worst also. But it doesn't do it in the like really gross like eco fascist way. Mm-hmm. Like it it shows us the other side of the parasites, you know, being that way with the mirror and um, even her when she's earlier in her arc talking about how you know what would happen if there were only fifty percent of the humans would that heal fifty percent of the environment or if it was down to only one percent of humans would that bring the damage to the environment down to only one percent and they start you know dealing with that kind of stuff, a very eco-fascist look at environmentalism. And that's really more so seen on their side of things in in the whole story, as opposed to um, what we see from uh, Shinichi's side of it, where he's very interested in, in humanity and these ideals of humans caring about each other and um, caring about the world around them and everything. He's very empathetic, I should say. Yeah, and and here we have, I don't know, the movie kind of decides that the eco-fascist villains are wrong and they get their comeuppance. Um, it doesn't uh, forget about them and it doesn't have, you know, it, do, it doesn't more or less <laughs> say that they're right. Like some Kazuki Kitamura gets this this whole great (laughs) scene. Like he has this big speech he does. It's you know very much in line eco fascist fascist message. Like doing his good old Hitler speech. Yeah. Now, now, now how would you feel if that character just was forgotten about for the rest of the movie until a post credit scene where he's buying like a creature body part and then you just never see him ever again? That'd be terrible. <laughs> I don't know what movie that would be. But that would be a terrible movie. Um, yes, but, but yeah, he gets this this great speech before, right before he's killed, and uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of hilarious because all the humans that are there to kill him, they're just like, "Are you done talking now?" <laughs> and then they just blast him away with like a million shotgun blasts. Um. But yeah, the 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 I think as a, as a as a movie or movies, I keep saying movie because it's I don't know, I, it's one movie cut in two. But um it really is. Yeah, yeah. Uh but um another thing I I It does a good job. It does a good job, I'll say, of having a three act structure to each movie though. It does. Oh. It does. Yeah, it doesn't Which, feel like it was one movie cut into two. It, it very much has um, a through line and a, a plot of the first movie that comes to a satisfying end. Yeah, and then a new one that's brought forward. Yeah, uh, that's focused on in the second and one. And that that's tough too because we see this all the time: a novel or a graphic novel or a, a TV series, whatever, gets adapted into multiple parts. And you feel like it's really just stretching everything thin. Um, you know, I there's a lot of examples of that where I've been like, okay, why does this need to be two movies? Aside from the studio wants more money. You know, um, whatever the last Harry Potter was, it was like, okay, that could have been one thing. I, I know the one that was probably the worst at this. I don't remember what it was 
one of you one of you might remember it was whatever the last hunger games was mocking jay okay there you go i i i went and saw the first part and i was so unbelievably bored by it because oh god nothing stretched out yeah nothing was going on and i i just i never even bothered with the second part i was just like i was like (laughs) there's like 15 minutes of movie in that first part (laughs) yeah like it is the naruto filler arc yeah it's horrible and so yeah to to be able to divide basically take a story and have six acts basically is not an easy thing. I think Kaneko did it rather well with, with the death note films. Um, but yeah, most of the time it's just like, Oh my God, like, why is this two movies? And I, uh, I didn't or, feel like that. Or even if it, even if you do understand why it's two movies, one, the, like, even if you understand why it's two movies, sometimes you get to where like you could never watch the first one and walk away feeling like a set, like you had a satisfactory experience. And I feel like maybe I'll take heat for this, but like Dune to me is a big example of that. Like, thank God their part two is like done and is coming out because I wouldn't feel satisfied watching that first movie by itself. No, I, I definitely agree. I don't think that's really as hot of a take as you think it is. <laughs> it's, okay. I, I think it, it definitely ends in a very strange spot. It's an understandable spot to end in the story, but it's a very strange spot for that movie to end at, and it's very unsatisfying. Right, and so this, like, I mean, I understand why you would want to split Dune in two, and I have all the, like, faith and everything that it will come to a satisfying you know, conclusion and everything in the second one. But like, if that was it, like if there never was a parasite to, I would be disappointed, but I think you could still come back to this one and, and have the first one. I I don't, I'm doing that same thing. Birds doing where (laughs) I'm pretending like we're not talking about both of them at the same time. Uh, But I, you could come back to the first one and still have a satisfying enough experience. I think, Similar, like similarly, somewhat is like the very first Dark Tower book, where you could go back to the Gunslinger and just view that as like the story that's kind of about the end of the beginning of something, basically, and that's a satisfying read if there never was another one, and that's that's an admirable thing to do to, to have like a multi-part story and have at least kind of your first one feel satisfying in case the second one doesn't happen, which in this case they had to have been filmed just at the same exact time being only four months apart. Mm -hmm. I think to point out something that didn't get two parts that should have had two parts, um, it still worked and is in the same vein. Um, would be like the the live action adaptation of Uzumaki from Junji Ito. Um, That's a good that, movie. That manga has so much more going on in it, and the the movie ends like a third of the way into the manga. Yeah, the, the manga <laughs> I, wasn't done when the movie was made, so that's what yes, that's true as well. But I mean, it's like it's an Akira that's situation. 
that's one of those things where like if they ever come back to it, I hope they do more than one movie because while it does work great as one movie and I, and I hope we actually I talk think about someone's that on supposed another to be episode, doing that right now. I don't know who, yeah. but I hope we get to visit that on an episode. But anyway, Uzumaki I think is a good example of one where it, it kind of just comes to an ending and just stops. And it's like I really love that movie, but the ending is very abrupt and not as satisfying as it could have been because it just kind of stops. So, so my example for that is going to be uh, Takashi Miike's JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Because I, I, I sadly haven't seen that, but I know it adapts um, Part Four, and I'm assuming it's only like the very beginning of Part Four. <laughs> yeah, so it basically goes up to where they catch, you know, the first serial killer. Uh, let's put it that way. So, oh, geez, so it's only like the first couple volumes. Yeah, it's uh, it, uh, it it misses a whole lot. So. Oh wow! Okay, so yeah, that's pretty terrible. <laughs> <laughs> or you could have like an hour of story and then cram a bunch of non-related stuff in and blow it up to three three-hour movies like The Hobbit. <laughs> oh lord! Yeah, that that's that is definitely the worst. Example. It's like the ultimate example. Yeah, the ultimate example of how not to do this: take a small children's book and turn it into three movies of stuff that doesn't happen in the book. They like broke Peter Jackson. He's like been miserable ever since. <laughs> you know what I wanted to, because I brought up Yamazaki, you know, overseeing a lot of the effects uh, for his films himself. Um, and, you know, I'm just like most of, of, of you, just like probably a lot of the people listening. I'm not really a big CG guy. And like, no, CG isn't perfect here, but like, it's pretty good. I think the effects in in these are really solid. Um, and I feel like the parts that they they could have done with CG were all done in CG purposefully, and they did put a little bit of practical in there with what they could do. But so much of this is it's so wild and out there that it's not something you could have made practically. Yeah, with as much precision as CG allows. That's that's like there's there's two reasons why the CG works. One, and the, this is the biggest one that that I I think is the biggest reason why, like, we think movies have such bad CG now, is because they lack consistency more than anything else. Mm-hmm. The the effects in this are just really consistent across the board. So once your eyes get used to how they look. That's how they look, and you're used to it, and it all just kind of looks seamless from that perspective of, like, you're not ever, like, constantly being like, oh, I guess it looks like this now. Oh, you know, like, nothing ever stands out, and that's what makes bad CG and movies that have, quote-unquote, bad CG really stand out is there will be a lot of good moments in them, and then you'll get things where, like, the like in Jurassic World where the gate appears to be floating above the ground instead of on the ground. And I think the actual, the Indominus does that at one point too. And you're like, Oh God, like be consistent at least. Um, and then the other reason is like Lux mentioned, it's so far fetched or non-anatomical or whatever you want to say that you just kind of accept it because it's it's so out there you you almost wonder like if you know in another universe like if 
the late nineties, early two thousands, you know, if New Line had made this, what would they how would they need to change the material so they can actually make pull off a lot of this these wild visual visuals? Like it, they would have to tone a lot of it down, I would think. Well, originally with, with Jim Henson company, I'm really curious how that would have gone. Yeah. I mean, hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna have anyone do something like that, that's up there with who you'd probably want. And, you know, I mean, even, I mean, I, I think there's some stuff they could pull off. Like, you know, look at like Miggy in his, like, like I'll call it like normal form as a Jim Henson puppet would look so cool that. Yeah, exactly. That you could do. Um, I mean, with some of the stretchy stuff, like, I mean, you know, I, I think of stuff like the thing, you know, there are things you can do, but like someone's head, like growing, like five times bigger and like opening into a bunch of tentacles and eyeballs and stuff and f- having these flailing tentacles that stretch all the way across a room like that is going to be a little bit harder. <laughs> yeah, and obviously we we've, we've seen stuff like that even back as far as the 80s like in, you know, John Carpenter's The Thing, but those were all effects that like took a lot of setup and were very hard to do. And we're like, we get one shot at this, and if it doesn't work, we're done. Yeah, and, uh, and the thing that, requires that, way less of that than this, right. where you have like, multiple characters doing stuff like this all the time. And especially when this is something, it's so action heavy, and that's why I said it needs to be something that's done with precision, which only CG can do. With them being able to turn their limbs into blades and how they're like when they fight the blades are swinging super quickly and it's almost like you know two samurai showing off you know with their swords like moving faster than the eye can see uh it's something that you really i I don't see practically working uh with how otherworldly and inhuman it is yeah i and and um Kevin, am I remembering it right? Doesn't Yamazaki like own his own VFX house? Like, uh, so he he's very much associated with Shirogumi. I don't okay, think that, that's actually, probably what uh, I'm thinking uh, of. Yeah, uh, like he he works for them, and and you know has ba- basically been um, every step of the way kind of uh, associated. Like when they were like, we're going to make our own movies, then his his movie was the first movie they made kind of like peter jackson and weta yeah yeah um because that also made me wonder like i don't like tom mentioned consistency um like for example shin godzilla um for the most part honestly the cg in that movie is pretty dang good um except for like the but like when it's bad you have like the, the stuff with the trains and like there's that sequence and you know when he after he nukes a city and like walks away and freezes other than that though like that a lot of that is like really good cg but i from what i at least from what i understand there were like a couple and you see this more in hollywood also like there's multiple effects houses working on different scenes all at once and it seems like um you know with yamazaki and this company I, I don't know for sure, but I would guess that they're they're doing all that stuff in in one place, and stuff like that really does help with the consistency of not just the quality but the style. Um, I mean, there's some movies you go see, and like each action scene is like done at a different effects house, and they all feel like you're watching a 
something completely different each time. Um, and so that that's like a really important thing to have is a consistency, especially when you're dealing with something as crazy as this. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a huge thing that happens in, in Hollywood. I remember who was like, I remember in the lead up to King of the Monsters, someone doing an interview with someone and it was like someone that, I don't know, maybe we in the fandom kind of knew a little bit or something. I can't a hundred percent remember, but it was, you know, they, Oh, we got an interview with one of the effects houses working on King of the monsters. And like the guy was like, yeah, our entire effects house just did clouds. <laughs> that's that's all we did for the entire thing. We just did clouds. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and, and again, I mean, Sure, whatever. That can sometimes be okay, I, I guess, for maybe like for things like that. Like if you want to be like, oh, you guys just do all the background stuff and you do all the characters or whatever. But like when they there's times when they don't split things that well and they end up just not looking good. And yeah, when you kind of bring more of it under one roof as possible, you get that consistency that just helps it, it like tricks your eye better. Because you're not noticing the seams as much. Yeah. To bring it around to something like Tom is familiar with, it, it's like comparing all of the the many different studios and animators who worked on like Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z. It's watching from episode to episode, you can see drastic differences in how they decided to animate characters, but they're all still following the same character design sheets that were given to them. And they're all being corrected at the end by like the same uh, overseers, directors. So it's you still get that consistency a little bit, but um, you end up if you actually like really pay attention from episode to episode and even scene to scene and episodes, seeing large differences in the ways that like how big Vegeta's forehead is. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's it's very different when you get something like this, like you're saying. It very much seems that one cohesive vision went into this movie. There seem to be very few hands on these scenes, and all of them are knew exactly what needed to happen. It, it, there wasn't anything that fell out of place. Mm-hmm. I, I'm interested yep. to see how that philosophy carries over into uh, Godzilla minus one. Also, because I mean, yeah, I mean, if it's visually consistent, like that's I don't know, it's, uh, it's something that most of the other Godzilla movies we <laughs> we've had from Japan or the U.S. Um, w- would have. Um, well, yeah, like I mean, like you said, like hopefully there's nothing in it that's like the trains in Shin Godzilla, where you're like, what, what the hell just happened? Like, what? Why did everything get bad so all of a sudden? <laughs> for a little bit there. Yeah. That whole last sequence just feels very weird compared to the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. But we're we're digressing. Yeah. Um, um to bring to bring this back to something I mentioned, you know, to, to maybe dampen the mood a little bit. <laughs> uh, you know, I mentioned that that I think the the back half is the the weaker part. Mm-hmm. The second movie is slightly weaker. Um I think for me, what I'll what I'll say and what you know, it, it just knowing it going in helped me enjoy it a little bit more. Like I like I mentioned, is 
and I'll, I'll loop this back also into something I mentioned too with the Dark Tower series where one of my biggest frustrations as a fan of that series was, you know, you read all seven books and you get into the seventh book. And for most of this story, uh, the man in black or Randall flag has been built up as sort of the main character, Roland's nemesis throughout. And you're waiting for them to have a final showdown of some kind. And it never happens. <laughs> uh, he gets <laughs> killed. He gets he gets killed by a giant spider, and you're like, yeah. Stephen King totally dis- clowns on you at the end of that that book. <laughs> That's very dissatisfying. I feel like me personally, I think the teacher character is, uh, and and the character's name is uh, Tommy Tamia. It's like Reiko or Raiko Tamia. Ryoko. Tamia or like Tamia, yeah. Yeah, it's it's either Ryoko Tamia or uh, Reiko Tamara because she changes it uh, when her identity gets uh... right. <laughs> but I think that is one of the more pivotal characters, and I really think throughout the first movie, especially, she's kind of built up as the counterpoint to Shinichi in a lot of ways. Um, you know, she's becoming more human as he's becoming less kind of. And there's a, there's a very good dynamic with those two. And she gets taken out of the second movie, in my opinion, like a little too early. And does the anime, either, it's either, it's that either long? that or it's either that or Goto isn't built up quite enough throughout the first movie to make his showdown with Shinichi at the end feel as emotionally cathartic as I wanted it all to feel. I, I can see that feeling as, especially since in the first movie, you really don't hear about go to like at all until that final scene when he shows up and you realize that, Hey, the teacher isn't really the foil to Shinichi here. You know, she is the emotional foil, but the actual, like, you know, protagonist and antagonist foil is Goto. And you don't get to that until the second part, like at all. And I feel like there's a lot of Goto lost in the movies. Then it's kind of unfortunate, like him being another experiment of Tamiya, um, a Tom of Tamiya, whatever name she goes by. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is another experiment of hers, you know, and she's the one who basically created him and she created this monster, um, and she she can you know feels you know a little bit guilty about that, and she also is supporting Shinichi, which is you know the foil. It's there, there's more to it there, and it's not really explored at all in the movie. So is that handled well, see there, that, that more? Even make... Is that handled better in like the manga, the anime stuff like that? You just get more time with it because of just because of the medium. It's the movies just don't have enough time for it. That even yeah. even if the movies leaned into that aspect more, again, that's a more Tamiya, which I is my complaint, you know, and and then it gives him that Goto that that stronger link to her to make it feel more cathartic at the end, right? And it and that gets into like the problems that I think maybe all of us have with how this ends, um, and the, and it is a problem that is a little bit shared in all versions. 
which it's a little is. long-winded. I feel like the the you know the first movie has you know between Shimada and um, and Mister A, it just has so many good villains in it already that um, I don't I don't feel like we need more of anybody in the first one. But yeah, maybe in the second one, uh, it could be restructured a little bit so we get. I don't know, more time with, with Goto or something like that. But again, it's a two-hour movie, and I don't know what I would cut in order to... Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know how much I would more I'd want to add to it either. I, I feel like... Uh, I, I feel the, the absence of Kana uh, from the source material, but, you know, that's... True, true. I don't know who that is. <laughs> she's, she's the girl that can sense parasites and she kind of has a thing for Shinichi and she's like, oh, I'm going to follow him around and then winds up following the wrong parasite around. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a whole perspective provided by that character that's completely like not here. So the issue with Tamiya being taken out, I guess, too early, is that something that is in each version that she's taken out that early, or does she stick around longer? I wouldn't really say she's taken out early. It's just, it feels like she's taken out early since it happens Yeah, in the second movie. It's like when you view them as one movie, she's taken out, you know, she's like the end of the, the second act as it were mm. before the big finale. Um, so I feel like it's, it's well-placed. It's just because it's split into two movies it's it's a little weird with her how she meets her end in the second one. So, do you feel like a big issue with the movie is that it, uh, you know, once you know the main threat is vanquished in this case Goto, that it it gets long winded and has you know that Return of the King hundred endings. I do. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think I think it's something that. In the movie version, they could have avoided. It's something that is it's present in the manga, and it's present in the anime, and it's something that the movie could have avoided entirely. But for the sake of being a closer adaptation to the manga, it still kept it the same way that everything ends in the manga, basically, which is, and I guess we'll just get into it. He has his final confrontation with Goto, and well, we'll, that's a different discussion we'll talk about. But after the confrontation with Goto, uh, we go into an entire epilogue sequence, which is a whole nother, I believe it's like two volumes of the manga, um, with him and Satomi, uh, like a year later, just living their lives together. And uh, all of the parasites have... um, Integrated into society so much that they that we, they aren't even noticeable anymore. They've, They're not eating they've, people. They've, yeah, they've yeah. reached the point that uh, Tamir was always going for was integration and assimilation um, to the point where they are basically human at this point. And they're they're not eating other humans. They're just eating regular food, etc. They're just surviving and be, living normal lives. Um, and we have this character that's a uh, a serial killer that was introduced in. The, uh, the first movie and the second one, who the police were using to identify parasites because him, the way his brain is messed up, he is sort of this monster of a human, and he can recognize other people who aren't human, who are sort of monsters themselves, so he can somehow, he just has great parasite dar. 
And so when he looks at them, he can say, hey, that one's a parasite, that one's human. Anyway, this character, uh, during the whole uh, sequence of killing the mayor and all of the, the chaos that went on at the city hall, uh, he gets away from the police and escapes. And we see him following around the, uh, the our protagonist uh, and Satomi, uh, Shinichi and Satomi just living their lives, and he kidnaps Satomi, and there's this big showdown on a rooftop uh, where he's facing down Shinichi, and he's like, what really makes me a monster and you a human? And it, and they they have this philosophical just discussion while he's got uh, Satomi at the edge of the roof, ready to push her off, and... Shinichi goes to rescue her and knocks the serial killer away. And he ends up rescuing Satomi with Miki's help. And we get, you know, it's a good, it's a great ending. And it's just, it doesn't feel like it's all that necessary at the end of things because everything is very much wrapped up in a very nice bow after Goto was killed. And we could have just had like, you know, a couple minutes after that and like, okay, they lived happily ever after. I kind of like the last touch about like some some small bit of Migi is still with him. I like I don't know I like that. I, I agree with that yeah yeah I agree with that and, I, and I'm not saying that the the ending in the manga is bad actually I love the ending of the manga and um, you know I think it was great here but I think detractors who would say oh well it's it ends up being too it's that Lord of the Rings Return of the King multiple endings feeling I, I agree it does mm-hmm. it gets to feel that way here because it's not really necessary in this particular adaptation you I almost feel. could have because there's like 20 after goto is killed there's like 20 minutes of the movie or something left like yep you almost could because i really like that little epilogue where he's like you know Migi, was that you? Like, you know, there, where there's like, okay, there is like some piece of Migi that's still alive with him. Um, but like, it almost seems like you could kind of like throw that into like a quick like post credit scene or to, or something almost. Yeah, I could have just ended with you uh, almost Miki do just it going in the. Sleep. You could almost figure out a way to do it in the in the climax itself. It, yeah, like, in the in the incinerator place or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You. Well, then you'd have to go through the whole thing with Migi saying goodbye and all that. But yeah, I guess you you could probably condense that into one scene or something. And I feel like it's it's just it's not done in a, a bad way. I, I think the movie does it well. It's it's adapted well. Mm-hmm. I, I I like the way it's done in the movie. I'm just saying that anybody who might feel this is a non a weird second ending, they're right to feel that way. Um, as far as like a purist, though, I can see why Yamazaki kept it in. It's it's an iconic ending for a um, iconic franchise. So, had it not been there, similar to how Return of the King has so many endings to to to, <laughs> to make fans feel like they had something enriching at the end, they had an, an actual ending. The people who liked the the source material, uh, I mean, we were still robbed of of you know the return of. Saruman, but all but uh, anyway, not a, it, it depends on what version you watch. But uh, but anyway, we're, I'm just saying it's 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 something I feel like it was done out of respect for the source material, and yeah. it does it well, and and it is it is it ends basically you know shot for shot exactly like the manga. 
Um, yeah, I just think it gets just a, it does get a little long. Um, how do you feel about um, like I don't know, like the showdown with Goto and the garbage dump or whatever? I mean, is that more or less what you get in the the other versions? It's more or less the same. Yeah. It's it's almost again shot for shot. The the the, uh, the whole idea of like radioactive waste is is uh, unique to this version. Okay. Um, yeah, I I was I wasn't sure because like there's like a a warning like you know beware of radioactive water or something. Yeah, it was it was just toxic in the original, not radioactive, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was just um yeah, he just he hit he stabs him with the rusty like piece of metal that the rusty pipe. And you know, it's just, you know, he's infected with something because it's a rusty pipe. It was probably you no know, tetanus. Um I wonder if that was maybe a little bit of post Fukushima radioactive. That's what that's what my thinking wastewater, was. Wastewater. Yeah, maybe you know, Yamazaki was throwing something in, you know, because yeah. of Fukushima and, and it became radiation because of that. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's still a thing going on over there is all the radioactive water. Um, but ultimately, I feel like the scene is still done pretty much. It's, it's like I said, the same. Yeah. Um, the, the difference being at the end in the manga and in the anime, it gets a little bit more about the philosophy of it with Shinichi and the environmental message. Um, and him struggling with the idea of whether he should, you know, let Goto live or if he should get rid of Goto. In this version of it, like Satomi is literally like they're watching him. She so so it, it becomes very much more about his connection to humanity and less so about the environmentalism. It's it's thrown aside at the ending here. Um I don't remember which one of you one of you made a comment about I don't know if this was in a chat or in one of the reviews on like Letterboxd or whatever, um, about the the sex scene and how it leads into other stuff like later in the story. It's handled a little awkwardly in the movie, but it still works. Is it handled differently in the movie? It's placement in the movie is just kind of weird. She kind of just like, cause he's like, like, you know, it's, it's right after his showdown with the first time with Goto and he's on the run and just like in the middle of nowhere. And she just somehow finds him. <laughs> and then they just, yeah. you know, okay, now we're going to have sex here in like this dirty, and he's like, like, <laughs> he's like, Oh no, my arm is a stump. <laughs> and she's like, Oh, okay, let's have sex. <laughs> Maybe it's she's very, got a. It's uh, just, it just it doesn't have the good vibes. Hey, whereas it's it actually has a setup and it feels like you know natural. Otherwise, in the other versions, here she just like shows up. It's like all right, we're gonna have sex in this dirty ass warehouse okay, hey, because man. the story says so. Hey, like, you know. I'm, I'm a little surprised that it's in there at all, frankly, because you know a lot of times, you know, big kind of blockbuster Japanese movies tend to not have sex scenes in general, right? So, Well, in their relationship, frankly, through just the way that it's played throughout doesn't have a whole lot of, like, sexual tension to it. I don't want to say it's super it platonic. Seem- yeah, it, it seems more platonic, leaning into, like, okay, maybe let's go on a date or something. 
Yeah, like the innocent kind of romance, like childhood romance, you know? We get like a and, joke about it in the first movie, like, you know, when, when Miki, uh, they first like meet and Miki's a part of him and Miki's like, oh, you know, you and her, like, you really like her. You should copulate. Yeah. Isn't that <laughs> when he's like asking him like about his boner or something? <laughs> yeah. yeah. He also and, grabs uh, you, her you boob. Get, you get more yeah. of that in the manga. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> there's, a, there's, you know, just, there's, there's just more of the, that joke of, you know, him being really horny for her and they should really, you know, get together um, because of, you know, he's a teenager and Miggy knows, you know, he's being driven by these urges as a teenager. I mean, there's um, a famous panel in the manga where his arm turns into a giant dick. So, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Miggy literally turns his arm into a giant dick. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, oh no, Satomi's going to see my giant dick arm. Uh, well, hey, man, you, sometimes you're in a dirty, abandoned warehouse, and, you know, hey, they're teenage, stressed out teenagers, hormones are flying all over the place. Maybe she has an amputee fetish, who knows? Um, it kind of, But it, it does, it works out because, like I said, it, it brings her more to the end of the story. Like, he's on the run at this point, she's there with him while he's on the run as opposed to him leaving society entirely and, yeah. and she's no longer involved with things. Makes more I sense like, with her with him. Yeah, I, I kind of as much as it, it throws the environmental side of his ideals to the to you know to the side with the face off with Goto, I like that the humanist part of it is there and, and his his decision is based in his his connection to humanity through Satomi. Oh, and there's always that question of, you know, when he's becoming colder and more kind of like heartless or whatever, there's the, how much of that is because he literally has parasite cells in him and how much of it is because like he's been seeing people dying and getting eaten and yeah, he just has, you know, deep seated trauma at this point. Yeah. There's so much philosophy going on in this thing. It's really great at that. Um, another question is, um, Lux, you had said like, I don't know, you watched the movies, but you were like, yeah, it's just like the third time I've seen this exact story. Like what's even the point almost. Um, and then I was like, well, for idiots like me <laughs> that just watched movies, you know, it's the only version I know. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. How, how do you do, is, do you still kind of feel that way or I just I think it's only just a matter of perspective that yeah. I feel that way just I had already been you know a reader of the manga I had already seen the anime um, it just so happens that I didn't get around to seeing these until just now when they they've been around since the same time as the anime like mm -hmm. we said and I just I just never saw them um, so yes I, I agree they these are great for the people who aren't going to go and sit down to watch, I think it's like 24 episodes of anime or, or read 10 volumes, uh, a taco bond of manga. Um, I, I think the, I don't know why you'd avoid that. That takes you like a day. No, <laughs> see, Tom feels me. Tom knows me. Um, but, but, but for somebody who's just, you know, they've got, 
uh, a life to live and then they're not going to sit and read a manga all day or, or they're not going to binge through 24 episodes of an anime. They've got other stuff to do. Yeah. The, these exist for that reason. And I think they do a good enough job of telling the story. Yeah. Well, like I, I watched, uh, I don't know if there's anything comparable with parasite, but like I, I watched, I don't know. I didn't watch all of the death note anime, but why I watched, I watched like a good enough chunk of it. And there was like all the, and I don't think it's just because I watched the movies first, but there was like all these like, I don't know, side deviations of like, okay, here's what's going on in this lab and all this stuff. And it's like, I really don't care <laughs> about any of this. I just want to see Light and, and L and this cat and mouse thing. And it's like, okay, the movies probably made a good decision in gutting all that out and then sticking to, you know, really the nuts and bolts of it without going into you know all these more convoluted deviations um is i guess i guess this is more my really long way of winded way of asking like do you feel like it's as good at doing that as how i'm describing at least um death note chucking out a lot of stuff that i didn't think was that interesting the things it decides to focus on are the things that are most important and I agree that death the Death Note movies do that. Uh, well, you know, we're agreeing that we're talking about the correct Death Note movies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> they they do that. They they focus on what's important. Um, I think these focus on what's important, and I like Kevin answer this as well because he's also read the manga. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely like Jaw is a character who's who's fun enough, but I had no need to see him show up in these movies. Exactly, uh, and. I think that, you know, like Death Note, that's an example. I have consumed six different versions of Death Note, uh, which does, you know, there's, there's, some, there's some repetition that goes on amongst that, but it's always fascinating with adaptations because there's differences between them, and it's always neat to see what decisions get made in that adaptation process, you know, whether story baits get changed or characterization shifts or, you know, even things like pacing or music or composition, like there's so many different ways you can go with something. And I think that that's in itself kind of a, a neat exercise is to kind of go and then look between these. And I think when it sticks 100% close to the source material, that's kind of the more boring way yeah. to go with things so uh when when you do have some some drift in a way that is interesting or serves some thematic narrative or you know shifts the structure you know from again a 10 volume manga series to four hour movie effectively like it's it's neat to see kind of what is kept and what is uh created whole cloth and um, could it be done differently? Sure, but that's a an interesting conversation in itself. Yeah. Okay. Um. Well, all right. Um. I guess I guess one thing that uh I kind of would have liked to see more of, or at least mentioned, is like aside from the parasites, like in Japan, like. Is this something that's happening all over the world? Um, or is it just like, I don't know, these loser parasites just like, I don't know, 
crashed in <laughs> one place or something. That's what I want to know. Um, You're asking if this, us if this is like a, a warning from space situation? Yeah. <laughs> where they, they purposely only show up in Japan yeah, and nowhere yeah. else? Um, but yeah, stuff like that I was thinking about. And then it's like, okay, like... I, well, I guess we never learn like how long the, their life cycle is, like, or um, you know, do they age if if they're you know in a human host? And I don't know. Those are all ideas that I guess uh, I don't know. We never learn how the parasites themselves may or maybe don't reproduce. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's another thing I was asking because if they're in a human host, as it's, it's established, is they're going to have a human baby. So, like, how do the actual parasite worms or whatever, like, how do they reproduce? I don't know. A lot of stuff that, um, I don't know, maybe the right people, if they decide to do more parasite stuff, could explore. I don't know. I take it none of these questions are answered in any of the spinoffs or whatever that manga that's come out. So the spinoffs are of uh, varying degrees of contradictory canon let's put it that way <laughs> well that yeah, certainly doesn't help of, uh, answer my question <laughs> yeah there's a, there's a lot of uh authorial license taken with all of the different uh, little spin-off anthology yeah. stuff well they probably just give it to different people and they're like here do whatever yeah whoever has a has a neat idea so yeah. one person could be yeah, like that's not a bad thing but uh what 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 happens with the parasites you know, if they showed up in the 1800s and another person's like, well, let's have a story about what the life is like of this one cop character or something like that. So it's it's all over the place. Yeah, it's a very what-if scenario type mm. thing. Interesting. Okay, well. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess we can, we can wind down. Um, I don't know. I mean, do we... I mean, I guess we... I mean, we all did it on Letterboxd. So, yeah, I guess we'll do star ratings for both parts. Um... Uh, I guess I'll I'll start. Um, the first one's really solid. Uh, I mean they're both really solid. The first one though, um, uh, I think flows a little nicer. Uh, it it doesn't seem to have quite as many balls that is juggling as the second part, um, which I think is what we've all kind of talked about a little bit as being like if you had to, you know, pick at something in part two. Um, but yeah, I mean, I re- like I said, I really like the emotional beats in addition to the creative, um, you know, creature stuff, the body horror stuff, um, and the, you know, just it, the, the, the horror stuff is genuinely disturbing. Um, so all of that, like, really checks my boxes uh, in, that I have in my head of, like, when something, need, like, is clicking for me. Um, and that's, that's something that I can say for both. For the first one, I'm going to give it a really good four. Like, um, and like, I really, um, could see myself watching these yet again. Um, the, the second one, I feel mostly the same. It hits really strong emotional beats and, um, uh, it's just, it's a little bit, it's, it's doing a little, it's trying to do a little bit more than the first. So it's, it's not quite as smooth um, of a ride, but it's still really darn good. So I would give that one either a lower end of a four or a three and a half. Um, and, uh, 
Yeah, no, I mean, I know he's obviously drawing from source material, but between this and other things I've seen Miyazaki do, um, you know, I hope minus one... Who? Miyazaki, oh my god, no, Miyazaki, <laughs> not the, no, I don't know what Miyazaki's parasite would be like, that would be insane. Yamazaki. Ghibli, Ghibli did want to do a parasite. That's, <laughs> that's wild. Um, but yeah, I, I, I hope minus one can, can deliver on some of those more emotional beats and have relatable characters. And those are things I, I think he is strong at, you know, I mean, there's, there's things that we've discussed as like maybe, you know, I don't know, politically it may be not quite in alignment <laughs> with, with certain things that we, we prefer, but I, I do hope that he can bring his storytelling chops to Godzilla. So, um, uh, yeah, no, I I dig these. I I really wish the the Blu-rays were more than like bare bones and that they weren't Funimation because like <laughs> Funimation stuff's expensive, and then it's like you know I, I I like if I'm gonna buy more expensive Blu-rays, I like there to be more than just you know here's the movie in an interactive menu. But you know maybe one day. I mean, I would like to own these. I I really do like them. Um, so I'm going to pass the mic to, uh, to Kevin. I, I actually had an argument with somebody at Funimation about whether they had the rights to these movies. It was hilarious. <laughs> it was because they, they played at film festivals with the Funimation logo. Yeah. And so I, you know, went, went to one of their reps and was like, so are you going to be putting those out on Blu-ray? And they're like, oh no, we, we don't own, own the rights to that. And like, are you, are you sure? Cause it's playing at festivals with your logo on it. And they're like, no, it's not. And like, <laughs> I don't think it is, and then you know, a couple couple months later, they announced that they're putting it out on Blu-ray. Um, but uh, yeah, that would, I mean, it took what, four years for the for the Blu-rays to come out after the after the movies were out in Japan. So it's it, it was it was a sizable delay. Anyway, um, I I really like these. I think they might be, you know, the always films are really really solid also, but you know, for what it's worth, just because these are kind of horror sci-fi stuff, I think that these might be my favorite of, uh, of Yamazaki's filmography. Um, and again, cause I have a long history with this property. Uh, it was really nice to see it, uh, done justice across, uh, multiple media. So, um, I will go ahead and say, I, I do prefer the first, half over the second half just and i think a lot of that has to do with how personal the antagonists are um in the uh in the first part you know between being you know somebody that kills and possesses the main character's mother or uh goes and tears up the main character's school uh goto in the second half is just kind of like a you know general bad guy uh, who who does attack the main character, but doesn't really have that kind of personal connection. And there is a little bit of a missed opportunity, and this is a problem in the source material too, that like he's got these five parasites, but we only really see two of the personalities, and they could have done something maybe a little bit more with that. Uh, but overall, I'm very, very happy with uh, how these came out. So I will say, uh, I'll give the first one four and a half, and the second one four uh meets in the shape of a puppy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um 
All right, Tom, how about you? Yeah, um, I'll keep it a little brief here. I, I think the first one's very strong. I give it a very strong four uh, ha- alien hands who want to investigate the sword between your legs out of five. I think the second one is a little bit weaker. Like I said, I think it just goes on a little long. I think like Kevin mentioned, the antagonists are not quite as personal. And so on Letterboxd, I gave it a three and a half. But overall, I would give the entire experience a four. All right, Lux, you are last up. I'm going to keep it fairly brief as well because I feel like we've we've already talked enough about this. Um, I think the first movie does a really good job of giving us a cohesive uh, look at the property and a nice through line that wraps up in a nice bow. Um, I can see why um, somebody who's not a fan of you know the manga and the the anime maybe might prefer this one to the second one more. Um, so uh, I I personally think. It does a great job of adapting everything, um, and I really, really enjoy it. But uh, I actually end up enjoying the second movie more because that's where all of the 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 story beats come to satisfying conclusions that I really care about. Um, there's a little bit of awkwardness in how some of them are played out, like we talked about with you know our copulation scene. Um, and you know how the Goto scene is a little bit changed up, and uh, I, th- I think everything overall, though, is extremely strong. Um, this is actually my first experience with Yamazaki as a director, hmm. seeing his stuff. So I'm glad I came in as something strong, and and uh, I, I'm, it makes me a little bit um, more positive outlook about what we might see with uh, Godzilla minus one. But for these movies, I'll give the first one, uh, we'll give it four out of five, um, you know, dead moms in an alleyway. <laughs> uh, and we'll give the second one uh, 4.5 uh, strange sex scenes in dirty warehouses. All right. Cool. Well, that wraps us on uh, Parasite. As always, thank uh, the listeners at home, and of course, uh, my friends here for joining me. And uh, yeah, we'll see y'all next time. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.